with all not your truth or kindness, Lord. With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hoekstra, your host. Have you recently gone through a life transition, like becoming a new mom or getting married? or perhaps are experiencing a traumatic life experience which took you off guard. Maybe you attend church, serve regularly, and are even in a life group, but recognize that deep down you have some underlying issues regarding your faith. If that's you, or you know someone going through something, you'll want to join me for a two-part episode where we talk with Bob Wessels, pastor of care at Trinity Church in Lansing, Michigan. We discuss the Christian life, transitions, how God can use all of our experiences to serve Him, and how spiritual counseling can draw us into a more intimate relationship with God. Well, in the studio, I'm excited to have as my guest Bob Wessels, Pastor of Care Ministries at Trinity, and in his role he has oversight of various support groups. He takes care of weddings, funerals, hospital visits, as well as providing one-on-one and couples counseling. He also trains lay counselors, which is where him and I met not too long ago. So, Bob, welcome to The Notice. Susan, it's good to be here, and thank you for having me. Talked about this for a while. I'm looking forward to it. And you're here, and I'm I'm glad you're here. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're here. Well, before we get too far in our conversation, on The Notice, we talk a lot about God noticing us and how we take notice of God. But we also discuss validation and affirmation and emphasize how the God of mercy satisfies. We do that through hearing stories. I've learned that in addition to your role here at the church, you spent many years as a deputy sheriff with the Eaton County Sheriff's Department. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be eager to hear some of those stories. But the most important story I want to start with right now is, Bob, how did you come to know Jesus? Susan, I... I don't know if I'm in the majority, but I was one of those kids raised in a Christian home. I am fortunate to be the fifth of five children. My mom and dad were both believers. Uh, my dad's 95, my mom is 94. They celebrated mm-hmm. 73 years of marriage this June. Wow. And so, so yeah, we went to church every Sunday. I, I knew who Jesus was. I am very... Uh, the foundation of, of teaching I received. And this is in the Dutch Reformed Church in okay. Grand Rapids. Yep. So we had catechism on Wednesday and then Sunday school and then and then going to church. And then we went to night church on Sunday nights, which I, I didn't like because we missed Disney mm-hmm. on Sunday nights. <laughs> yeah, what a shame. Yeah, I know, what a shame. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but I got to learn so much. And so I accepted Jesus when I was about seven or eight years old. And in that church, uh, I was baptized as an infant. And then when you come to a a saving faith, you make what they call confession of faith. And so when I was 10 then, I stood up in front of the church and made my confession of faith uh, as a believer. So since then, obviously that was when you were young, how has your faith evolved? How has it changed? You know, what a good question. It's evolved. It's evolved amazingly. You know, it's, you almost have to relearn what you learned when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, as a child, having that childlike faith 
is so important because Jesus calls us to be like that. Mm -hmm. And then you get older and, and then life circumstances start to happen and you, you, I've always been blessed with faith, but you start to look at those circumstances and you start to get maybe thrown off kilter a little bit sure. by those circumstances. And yet God's saying the same thing. You know, look to me. I'm sovereign. I've got this. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so yeah, my faith has grown and I'm more mature as a believer. I understand scripture more now and I understand everything I take in. I have to hold up to the straight edge of scripture. If it doesn't align with the word of God, then, then it's like, okay, then I know I need to really question what that is. Right. Yeah. So tell me about some of those circumstances that might have altered your perception of God. Well, I'd say the first one was in 1967 at the age of seven when my oldest brother, uh, we received word that he was killed in Vietnam. Wow. And so he was 20 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, 19 or 20. And <clears throat> I remember that Sunday morning uh, like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, I, we'd gotten up to go to church, as we always did, but my mom was crying. And my mom was not a crier. Mm -hmm. And then there was a knock at the door, and she just lost it because there stood two guys in uniform at the door, and there was a U.S. Navy uh, car parked out front of our house. Mm -hmm. And then they gave the official word as to what had happened. And for the first time in my little life, we didn't go to church. You know, because that she had just received word that her oldest son was had been killed. So and so, how did you respond to that? I was seven, and I just you know my brother was nine, and then my other sister was sixteen, and my other sister was eighteen, and there was just so much sorrow in the house. I just watched it, and I didn't really understand. So, looking uh, back now, what do you did you perceive was going on with your family? Well, it was it was grief, obviously, and you know the shock and denial and the anger and those kinds of things. But again, as a seven year old, I was like, "Hey, we're not going to church." Now, did and you I, just not go that day, or did you no, stop no, no. going oh, altogether? It was just that day. It was just we that, didn't day. Go that okay, day. Okay. Okay. And then, being raised in the Dutch Reformed background... Yes. Sundays, I'm a hookstra, you know. Okay, I know. Yeah, yeah Dutch so Reformed. So, <laughs> you, know, you took a nap, you know, on Sunday. You didn't do anything. And my mom and dad actually told my brother and I to go ride our bikes. And so I was just like, I was thrilled I got to ride my bike. But again, I was seven. You're seven. You know, you're seven, you're I'm seven. almost 60. Right, right, right. So lots happened today. since then, right? Yeah. So you grew up in the Grand Rapids area then, right? Yep. And yep. then after that time, as you, after the death, and obviously that altered your family quite a bit, mm -hmm. and the dynamic of your family. Did you guys just continue going to church, and your relationship with Scott, was that every Sunday? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I, you, could, you could watch it in my parents and their faith. You know, now they're from that generation that grew up in the Depression. And, I mean, again, they, they saw several things in their lifetime. But their faith in God never wavered. 
and they knew God was good. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, nothing changed in that regard. I mean, personally, you know, my, my sisters went to college and got married, and then um, in my brother's senior year of high school, my dad received a promotion. And so he stayed in town with a family, and then we moved up to Big Rapids. So I did my 10th grade year of high school in Big Rapids. Okay. That might be another significant emotional yeah, event. Yeah, it's a big change. Well, because we moved then a year to the day again. So I mm-hmm. did my junior and senior year of high school at another school. And so I started to see the, eh, you know, the not so good part about being the new kid. Mm-hmm. You know? It yeah, it's a tough transition. Yeah. Especially in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my daughter went through the same thing. We moved in her 10th grade year. It was a tough transition for her. Yeah. Tough transition. So you're in high school. You graduate, I, I assume, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so then then what happened? Did you, Is that when you started becoming a sheriff? Or what, what led to that? Well, again, let's go back to Grand Rapids. You know, my... My mom's uh, mom and dad were both deceased, so I had one set, one set of grandparents. That was my dad's mom and dad, and my grandpa was a security guard, and so he had a police style hat and he had a billy club, and we'd go over to his house on Sundays, Sunday nights. We'd go there for tea and sandwiches, and yeah. a nap. Huh? And a nap. Oh, that was after. Yeah. Oh, okay, that was after tea and sandwiches. Okay, yeah, just clarifying. <laughs> and then we'd play, you know, my brother and I would play, and I always grabbed that billy club and that hat, and then I just knew I wanted to be a police officer. I don't know what it was that drove me to do that, but I, I just wanted to be a police officer. And so after college, I went and checked it out, and I found out you can't be a police officer in Michigan until you're 21. And I thought, well, I'm only 18, so I've got four, three years to kill. I'll just go to college for four years. So I went to MSU, got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Okay. And then when I got out of college, um, I realized you have to go to, well, Lansing Community College or the state police to get in a police academy. So I did that. And I graduated from the police academy on November 6th. Yeah, November 18th of 1983, and I was hired by Eaton County on December 19th. Okay. So I was unemployed for a month and a day. Wow. So I was hired in, in December of 83, and then I did eh, 26 years and change until 2010 when I turned 50, and then I retired. So it's interesting, not, you know, when you're a kid, a lot of times people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Was that the answer for you? Oh, yeah, that was the answer. And it's interesting because not, a lot of people don't do that. When somebody asks you, it's not like you end up, you know, I want to be an astronaut or something. Right. But you actually said, I want to be a police officer, and it happened. You did it. Right. You did it. You right. did it. My wife reminds me all the time, you're, at, you're the exception. You know, how many people really follow their dream, do what they want to do, and then you did it? And now I will say, to be perfectly honest, before that, I wanted to be a lion tamer. Okay. Well, we same thing, right? the circus. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Same thing. I know. I grew up, I knew when I was 13, I wanted to be a professional clarinet player. <laughs> there you go. And that happened. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but, but that's rare. It's very rare. It's mm-hmm. very rare that somebody says, okay, this is what I see my life going. This is what I want to do. 
And so tell me a little bit about your your time on the force. What kind of things? You, uh, were, you were there for a while. I was. It was... I, I, I loved it. I loved being a police officer or a deputy sheriff. One of my first calls I went to was a, a homicide-suicide, <laughs> where an estranged boyfriend broke into a house, shot his girlfriend, and then killed himself. And so you're met really quickly with the realities of life that people are very, you know, yeah, there's Broken. evil. There's and brokenness, there's, there's evil, there's all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I had some specialties. I mean, I was a fatal accident investigator. So if somebody died in a car crash, I was called up and we'd go out and take pictures, do a sketch, measurements, so we could recreate the accident. So I saw a lot of things like that. But I, I loved, I've always been an adrenaline junkie. Okay. And so when the Metro Narcotics Squad would want to kick a door, it's like, yeah, I'm there, let's go, and <laughs> charge in. And I could see that. <laughs> it's, I, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But it was normal stuff, too, pulling people over, writing tickets, changing flat tires, giving people rides that their cars broke down, or, you know, just doing that, that kind of stuff to, to help people out. And I always, even when I interviewed for the job, I said, you know, I love the motto to protect and serve, but for me, the, the serve part comes first. Okay. I mean, I'm there to help you out, you know, unless you do things that cause me to not want to help you out. And part of the service is to protect. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you're out there and you're seeing all this evil and brokenness, how do you notice God in all that? Well, for me, Susan, the, the lifeline was being connected to a church and a, a really good church. Throughout, through college and then uh, through my career, uh, we belonged to University Reformed Church, which was was right across from campus, and now they've moved. But um, it was pastored by Tom Stark, who was dialed in. I mean, he was all about scripture, and and again, when you when you are around normal people, and you know, I just saw a two-year-old, you know, laying on the the pavement who'd been run over by a car, and yet I go to church, and somebody says, "Can you pray for my son?" You know, I think he's. He's struggling in math. And you're like, okay, that's their paradigm, and that's right. a huge issue for them. So it kind of keeps you anchored to reality a little bit. Right, and, and, and on this podcast we talk about validation, and we define it as valid, validating someone is, is acknowledging that their experience is real to you, and mm-hmm. it's not comparing it to something else. Right. And don't you think that's a really really something everyone needs whether it's that person who's concerned about the math problem or what you just said absolutely well yeah and and nobody wants to feel demeaned you know and and i don't know i i think god cares about all of that you know if it says he takes notice of a sparrow falling from the sky that's right then the waitress who's busing to, you know, working really hard just so she can afford a new pair of shoes is just the same as, you know, God cares about that need. Mm-hmm. Just Absolutely. like he does the, the person that, that gets news, uh, they've got cancer, you know, and how are we going to treat this? I mean, yeah, and there's, 
you could say one's way more severe, but we don't understand the depths of how God loves us. And we talk about it. Mm-hmm. We talk about it, I, you know, on this podcast, we talk about his mercy a lot and mm-hmm. the fact that we don't really deserve to be taken notice of at all. You know, we mm-hmm. don't really, I mean, we deserve to be punished. And, and, and God said, no, I don't really quite understand that, Bob, to be honest with you. I don't quite understand it. I mean, I think I do, and I've accepted it, but I don't understand it in the, the depths of what our Savior has done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're watching all this it happened. Like I'll give you. I'll be honest with you. I don't like to listen to the news because it kind of doesn't keep me on the whatever thing is lovely, whatever thing is true, whatever thing is pure. So how did you manage to see that? Did you compartmentalize it? Did you just do a disconnect, or what did that do? I mean, did you talk to God about it? Well, what happened? I, I think. Susan, it'd, it'd be unfair for me to paint a picture like I was some sort of saint mm-hmm. during these years. No, I became jaded. I became, um, now again, I read my Bible. I went to church. I prayed, and I, again, my, my outlook on life has always been really positive because I know God's in control and he loves mm-hmm. me. But, yeah, I... I wouldn't mind it if a if a quote unquote bad guy, you know, got a little owly and needed to be taken down. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, it's like let's sure. go. I mean, I'm a man. I don't mind fighting. But isn't that part of the? Doesn't that reflect a little bit the justice of God? Well, yeah. I, you know, I think God's wrath and God's justice are absolutely perfect. I look at my wrath, and it's based sometimes on <laughs> pettiness yeah, and all right. selfishness. Yeah, well said. And, well said. Well you know, said. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you know, roughly six years into my career, um, I came home and uh, you know, my wife at the time said, "Hey, no offense, but I don't want to be married anymore." And I said, "Really? What are you gonna do?" And she says, "Well, I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving." And Just like that. Yeah. Well, and it was like I, I, I kind of knew there were some issues, and it's like, well, let's go to counseling, let's do whatever, because I thought we were doing pretty good. Um, but yeah, it, it was, I was... That rocked your world. It, it did, seriously. Yeah. It totally did. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, everything I'd ever wanted, you know, to be a dad, to be a, to be a husband, to be a father. I had two boys, you know, they were four and two at the time. Mm, I mean, they were young. Being okay. a cop, being, you know, it's like, they say live in the dream. Mm-hmm. It's like I was living the dream, you know. I mean, it was just yeah, and yes, yeah, she, she you know had some some things that she was going through, and it's like, well, I'm not quite you know like now. Okay, what was like 27, 28 years old at the time, still not quite that mature. So it's like, yeah, it, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I maybe would respond differently now being fifty nine than when I was like 27, 28. But on the flip side, and let's just fast forward, you know, God blessed me with a second marriage mm-hmm. and we'll have 29 years in March. Praise and, God. And we've got two kids and and my two older boys are doing well. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, like people say they'll do, want to do like the what if or the, 
if you could wish it over or whatever, and it's like, but then I'd be wishing what I have now out of existence. Right. And, and you'd be wishing your kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, I kind of like them. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I'm sure there must have been something in that experience that um, taught you about God. Well, Susan, absolutely. I mean, first of all, there's, there's nothing wrong with being emotional. You know, I mean, we are... We're physical beings, we're emotional, we're spiritual. I mean, I don't think I was at a, I couldn't have been any lower when my wife loaded my kids up in the car and, and mm. took off. And I dialed up my pastor and I just said, what do I do? What do I do? And he said, let her go. And I'm like, okay. And so I let her go. Coincidentally, I had just been hit by a car at work. This woman with her 4,000-pound car hit me just uh, in my, my legs, flipped me over the hood of her car, so I was off work for like three months. So it was like at that time that she chose to leave. While you were convalescing. Yeah. So. You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> what do you say to that? Yeah. <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> Awkward silence. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I, I've I've gone through a divorce myself, and um, there are so many things I learned about myself mm -hmm. and about how I viewed God. And you know, of course, there were times when I thought, "All right, God, aren't you paying attention? Mm -hmm. Don't you see?" You know, I, I, I thought I was doing all the right things. I was going to church. <laughs> I was raising the girls. I was working hard to, to pay bills when we were in, in problems. And, you know, I did my share. But, you know, he had, he had a problem, and that caused it. But still, it doesn't, the sting doesn't go away. It's just not as severe anymore. Part of, for me, anyway, I had to look at myself. Well, I, I had to say, yeah. what what was it? And it really rocked my sense of identity and who I was and on many levels. Did that well, happen it, to you? You know, one of the things I've learned being a, a counselor and then just like studying the difference of the, the male brain and the, and the female <laughs> brain, you know, it's like, it, yeah, we, we look at life differently. You know, I mean, some... Some marriage therapists write books about, you know, the blue lens and pink and, I mean, sure. all sorts of stuff. But I learned, well, first of all, I learned that it was, I kept, I kept hoping it was just temporary. I mean, I, I just, I would say, look, I love you. The door is open. You can come home. And she would say, no, I can't. And... She came home with like three or four months just to tell me um, I'm pregnant. And she'd met a guy, kind of hooked up, and mm. he was pregnant. And I Ouch. said, well, and I said, you know what? I said, we can get through this, you know? I mean, God's bigger than all of this. So if you want to come home, I mean, I'll adopt this kid. If he doesn't look like me, it's nobody's business but ours. We can do this. And she said, no, I just can't. I can't do it. And you know, I don't, I don't do a, put a whole lot of stock in like I don't believe in like generational curses because Ezekiel speaks totally against that. Mm -hmm. And if you do, that's fine. I mean, we can we can have a whole other you know discussion on that. But her her father had been married I think five times, 
and her mother was uh, her third husband. And when we were just starting to have some issues, her dad's advice to her was to go out and sow her oats. And he told me, he said that, and I said, I don't think I want you talking to her. I don't think that's the kind of advice she needs. I mean, that's not godly advice. Right. You know? So, anyways, I, what was hard for me, um, Susan, is realizing there was finality to all this. Because the one, the, the couple months led to a year, and then to two years, and then to three years. And I kept saying, you know, every time I'd see her, I love you, the door's open, you can come home. And she would always respond, no, I can't. And around year two and a half, going on three, I started to get the message, she's not coming home. And so I remember going to the elders in my church and going to the pastor, and it's like, wow, what do I do here? I, I mean, I felt like I, God was releasing me from the covenant, releasing me from the marriage. But I still, again, your feelings are not always reliable. But we talked, and they said, yeah, it's okay. You know, and, and so... I think one of the great things that I hear from that is that your first response, your first reaction was to call the church. Oh, it, it, she wasn't even out the door. You know, and you were on the phone to your church because you knew that that was where truth was, where understanding was, and uh, you know, that shape, I'm sure it shaped you, shaped you in, in your role here and what you're doing with other people. And so I can't wait to talk a little bit more about the counseling so next time on The Notice, we're going to join Bob again for part two, and we'll talk more about how he transitioned from being a police officer into his current role and just what happens in counseling. Until then, take notice. Oh